Hi, I'm Melina Morrison, CEO of the Business Council of Cooperatives and Mutuals. Welcome to our Cooperative Farming podcast series. Cooperative Farming is a series about farmers transforming their businesses by working together. Through their stories, warts and all, you will learn how positive the cooperative business model can be to farming and how it can literally change lives. Today, Stuart Crosswaite. He's chairperson of the Mountain Milk Cooperative. The Mountain Milk journey really is a David and Goliath story. It starts with a small group of Victorian dairy farmers who were farming with Australia's largest dairy cooperative before it demutualised. All of a sudden, we were increasingly looking like Murray Goldman was going to fail um, and was failing us. We were really worried about our futures. We were certainly not receiving a fair market price for our milk. It was unbelievably stressful financially. There was certainly a lot of uncertainty. For me, this is an inspiring story of how an astute group of farmers saw the writing on the wall and formed their cooperative 12 months before the eventual demise of Murray Goulburn. You'll get an insight into how you can go from the edge of disaster to creating a business direction the next generations will be inspired to follow. Here's our host, renowned agricultural journalist, Pete Lewis. Enjoy. Now we're joined by somebody who you could safely call a bit of an expert in farming and in building and growing cooperatives. Stuart Crosswaite, a passionate fifth-generation dairy farmer and chair of not only Australia's most interesting farming co-op, but one of the newest dairy businesses formed just three years ago, 2017, Mountain Milk. It's really evident that Stuart and his fellow members in Mountain Milk believe strongly in what we've done to get to this point. There's a lot of troughs and a lot of triumphs along the way. He has a very compelling story to tell us tonight, and I'm delighted to welcome him to it. Stuart, you're coming to us tonight from your family farm, Hermitage Dairy in northeast Victoria. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Now, you've got a Bachelor in Agriculture, a Master's of Agribusiness, and a Grad Diploma of Applied Science, as well as a past career consulting. Now, I'm hoping that you might have been able to get in when tertiary education was free, because that little lot itself sounds like you would need to own three or four businesses. Fortunately, of course, the government has now made agricultural studies a lot cheaper than they were about a month ago, which is a great thing. But that's a significant body of experience and time since studying ag. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm certainly a qualified dairy farmer. <laughs> And some of that study, I understand, uh, occurred over in the ditch. You went over to the land of the long white cloud. Yeah, I, I received a scholarship from Dairy Australia and went and studied over there for a year and learned a lot about it. Was, it probably inspired me to go farming, to be honest. They certainly have a tremendous record, particularly in dairy, but just applying really good ideas and practices and a lot of common sense, frankly, uh, to the business of farming, whatever it is. Yeah, they're certainly innovative. They're always testing the rules and um, looking for new innovations and new ways to improve. So, yeah, no, it was a fantastic time. Thinking outside the square. So someone like you who's had the vantage point both here and over there, you're in a pretty good position to give us a bit of a quick snapshot of the dairy game in Australia and what it's worth particularly to your neck of the woods. It's been a tough few years. 
we've had our fair share of um, ups and downs. But look, our particular group of farmers live in a pretty reliable part of the world. You know, it's nice rainfall, very reliable. You know, obviously we have our, our ups and downs seasonally, but it's a great place to, to farm. It's very reliable. What's dairy worth to your part of Victoria? It's significant. It's, it, it actually occupies about 8% of the land. So it has a very small footprint but contributes around 30 to 40% of the farm gate income. So most of the farming surrounding us is grazing, so beef, sheep, dairy. And, you know, so for such a small footprint, it does pack a big punch. And um, when you add the jobs associated with processing and, and all the other parts of the industry locally, it's a, it's a pretty big contributor to the local economy. Where does your milk go? What does it end up in? In milk bottles or is it in the production part of uh, the dairy game? So before we formed our co-op, all of our milk in the region used to go to the local manufacturing site at Kiwa, which is about 15, 20 kilometres from here. So it was processing about 150 million litres of milk. There's about 200-odd million litres of milk in the region. So most of that would be going to a larger processor like Murray Goulburn or Saputo or someone like that and processed into powder, cheese, all sorts of stuff. So... Yeah, now that we've formed our co-op, all of our milk is going to towards Shepparton, which is roughly a couple of hours away from here. It's processed into um, UHT. Well, let's talk about the background of why your co-op was formed. About 12 months uh, before its collapse, you could see the writing on the wall for Murray Goldman. So a group of uh, dairy farmers, including yourself, knew you were on, in an industry that was facing some very fundamental and severe challenges including the uh, tanking of the milk price, which I think everybody around Australia has probably got across in one form or another uh, over that time. Tell us about the situation you were in and what were the principal worries for you going forward as, as, as somebody who wanted to stay in daring and make a quid? Yeah, thanks, Peter. Look, we were really worried about our futures. We were certainly not receiving a fair market price for our milk. It was unbelievably stressful financially. There was certainly a lot of uncertainty. As I said, stressful. It was frustrating. Um, and I think, you know, for decades, probably the best part of a century, we've been part of a co-op of one form or another. And the marketing and selling of our milk and getting our milk to market was taken care for us. So all of a sudden, we were, you know, increasingly looking like Murray Goldman was going to fail um, and was failing us. And in the end, we were, we were probably being treated like numbers and we certainly didn't feel like we were part of any sort of membership or co-op for that matter. As we said, some of them, uh, when they work, they work extremely well and when they don't work, they fail spectacularly as well. My understanding is that you were struggling in a very high cost system that encouraged flat milk production rather than focusing on profit at the farm level. You were also geographically cornered with no other milk processors in your region. So I guess you had the, the double whammies. You were, um, you were really boxed in. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was the pressure that we were under and it was real. In our local region, Murray Goldwyn was collecting all of the milk. There were two processors paying farmers, but all of the milk was being picked up by Murray Goldwyn. So there was effectively an anti-competitive arrangement but, um, between Murray Goldman and that other processor. And as farmers, we, we weren't able to switch to the other processor. So 
that's okay if your process is performing, but when it's not, it can be frustrating. So our objective in the early days was if we could attract at least one more processor to the region, that would be a great outcome for our farming community, just to give them another choice, another option to sell their milk. So on farm, we get paid via a payment structure that is generally all about the processor. It's about reducing their costs and making the processing side of the equation really profitable. Don't get me wrong, we need to have profitable processes, but at the end of the day, it was pro- it was transferring pressure and cost to the farmer. And you know, when you're only getting paid for 12 months for, for your milk and you've got a high cost structure because you're trying to meet the incentives of the processor, it really does expose you to the ups and downs and the volatility of the market. So we really were hunting for you know, factories to you know, that could complement our seasonal patterns, our climate and our farming systems. So what was the final straw? What was the impetus to uh, form a new dairy business as a co-op? What was the final crunch? Oh, look, as I just said, I think the main impetus was just simply in the early days was just to try and attract another processor into the region to create some competitive pressure and give the farmers another choice and another route to market. We pretty quickly realised that hang on, there's probably more of an opportunity here than just that. So here's an opportunity for us to potentially find some extra value, add more value to the outcome for the farmers. So initially we had, you know, several discussions with farmers um, that were surrounding, you know, we had key advisors, we had industry leaders, um, local local leaders. We just generally got together to discuss our options. There was overwhelming support to do something. I suppose we we just felt that there's an opportunity here. Why don't we just have a have a go and and see where it gets us? And and that's what we started off doing. In that case, how did the uh, cooperative approach end up being the solution for you? What was it about that structure that you uh, you still liked and were still drawn to? Well, all of a sudden we were surrounded by huge corporates, and so Murray Goulburn was failing, and then it was taken over by Saputo. And all the rest of the main processes are, are huge corporates as well. So I think the, the cooperative structure really focuses your intentions on creating value for your members. And, and I think when you become part of a huge company and a huge co-op, you can sometimes, it's difficult to uh, maintain that member connection and communication. So it's amazing how refocused and how effective the co-op structure is while you're small and being able to maximise that communication and connection. So, yeah, I think it's it's been a lot clearer to us that there's a real competitive advantage in being aligned with the co-op farm structure. Uh, three of the directors that are involved in the, in the co-op went off and did some studies with the University of Newcastle in understanding co-ops and the governance of co-ops and the history of them. And I think that's really opened our eyes to the opportunity and the potential of what a co-op can be. Because up until that point, Murray Goldman was really our benchmark and probably an example of some things that you shouldn't do now. But yeah, so we see an opportunity to redefine what a co-op is and how a business should responsibly support its members and its farmers. So So how does yours work? Tell us a little bit about the structure of Mountain Milk and your cooperative and and, and, and how it works day to day. So the the structure of the co-op is... We have a board of five directors. Those directors are all farmers at the moment. 
When I say at the moment, we have a board that is surrounded by professionals that help us make decisions. So we're not immune and we're not aware enough to know that we don't have all the skills to make decisions on everything. So where we feel like we're underskilled a bit, we bring people in to help us. We've got an amazing amount of support behind us that from ex-CEOs of companies to financial support, accountants, you name it, and marketing people as well. So it's been amazing the support that we've got to be able to help us. So in terms of structure, we've got a board of five. We have monthly board meetings. We employ one person who is our CEO. Yeah, so it's just, it's a normal business. We've put a lot of time and effort into developing policy and structure. And yeah, we function like a normal business. As we've seen and heard as this series has evolved, one of the great strengths of cooperatives is that, that members really feel as though they have a say in how that organisation is run and the future strategies and the direction. I guess the big challenge is how do you keep everybody on the same page, heading in the right direction and part of the team? Yeah, it's one of the arm wrestles with any business, but particularly a co-op where you're focusing on your members and value creation for your members. Um, it's easy while we're small. Most of the members are represented on the board and the handful that aren't, it's just a matter of picking up the phone and, and having a chat to them. So I think there was a real benefit in doing those studies through the University of Newcastle that really reinforced that for a co-op to succeed, you need to be really well connected with your members and communicate strongly with them. And we've made a real effort to involve them in, some, in most of the decision making, in particular, the big decisions that we've had to make along the way. Let's, if we can now, just talk about your personal situation. And you alluded at the start about uh, what a stressful situation really led to the formation of, of Mountain Milk. How was your own business travelling at that time? <laughs> Look, it was an unbelievably stressful time. We had lots and lots of outstanding bills. I think it created a lot of uncertainty. It was probably the first time in my career that I was kind of thinking, well, I was questioning whether I'd wanted to be farming anymore. And I'm normally glass half full and really positive and passionate about what I'm doing. And I suppose for me to be questioning that, it, it really did knock us around. So I think the, the biggest disappointing part of it was how we were treated as humans. And when you're part of a cooperative, it should be operating like a family and like a membership. So when we were being treated poorly, it just... It really did knock us around a bit. Our host, Pete Lewis, is talking to Stuart Crosswaite. He's chairperson of the Mountain Milk Cooperative and hearing the inspiring true story of how they made a sustainable business model from the brink of disaster as our cooperative farming podcast series continues. I mean, those of us that were watching, I guess, at arm's length, uh, we're certainly aware of the incredible strain that was on family farms and family dairy farms for a whole host of reasons and uh, the pressures that they were getting at retail and all those kinds of things. Uh, but as you said, you'd put an enormous amount of effort and had a lot of skin in the game, but even you questioned whether uh, at the end of the day it was worthwhile sticking with it and maintaining that enormous investment of capital and human capital. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you just felt like you were a number and there were special deals being done for, for big farms versus small farms and you felt like you were helpless to a large degree. So, you know, that feeling of helplessness and, and as you said earlier, being geographically cornered, only one option to sell your milk to the market. We had two options. We could do nothing or we could fight our way out of it and see what was out there and see if we could come up with a better outcome for everyone. 
And interestingly enough, given the experience that you'd had with Murray Goldman, which at one stage was uh, one of Australia's largest dairy processors and a cooperative until its corporatisation, yet you still inherently felt that there was strength within the cooperative approach. I like how you mentioned in your question there about corporatisation because it really did feel like um, MG had really got removed itself from its cooperative principles and was behaving really like its competitors. And when it, it partly listed on the stock exchange, I think as soon as it did that, it completely lost the plot in terms of its ability to communicate with its members like a co-op should. So that was a huge part of it. When we got together and started discussing what we could do in the early days, we said to ourselves, we really want every kilogram of milk sellers to be paid the same. So whether you milk a 1,000 cows or 100 cows, your milk should be valued the same as the other guy. So that was a big part of our, our impetus and, and desire to do it. We wanted everyone to be treated equally. And, yeah, so we asked ourselves, how do we want to be related to each other? And it probably would have been simpler to put a, a company together and just get on with it. But the co-op structure really hit a chord with us because everyone was equal. I'll read you our, our, our values that we came up with at the start of the um, initiative. We wanted to act with honesty, integrity and transparency. We wanted to support our members equally. We share the risks and rewards of working together and we want to give back to our communities and our industry. So we thought long and hard, even before we started the business, whatever it was going to be, that this is how we want to operate. And when you look into a, what a cooperative is and should be, a lot of those things that I just mentioned are, are really strong in the ingredients of a cooperative. And I guess probably in the dim, dark past, the people who put together Murray Goldman probably would have had the same objective. So, but as you have very, very properly illustrated and, and described, they got away from their core business and their core responsibility. Now, it's worth just reminding us just how significant the Australian dairy industry is to our economy. It's the third largest rural industry with gross value of $4 billion. For the Alpine Valleys of Northeast Victoria, where Stuart is from, the dairy-related industry contributes more than $380 million through farm gate income, through food processing activity and the dairy service sector, and it supports 750 jobs. Big numbers. Stuart, what are your current challenges and uh, what keeps you up at night? Being a dairy farmer, it doesn't keep me up at night. I fall asleep, fall asleep pretty easily. But I look, to be honest, there's probably more positive things that keep me up at night. Um, we're constantly thinking about how we can create better links to our community. You know, we set out to put this co-op together purely to create another a better outcome for our farming community. So I think we're, we're constantly asking ourselves, how can we do this better? How can we better communicate it to the farming community? How can we improve things and, and generally create more value? Yeah, you've said that being part of a cooperative is your competitive advantage and that was a deliberate and measured move. How does it do that? And, and how does this compare if you were operating under any other company structure, as you indicated, just like forming your own company? I think this is really key to, to why and what we've done. You know, we're running a dairy farming business. And I think in farming, we can be a little bit precious about being farmers. At the end of the day, like any other industry, like any other business, we're running a business, we're trying to create profit. So all of the corporate processes will provide you an economic service and it's generally centred around milk price. 
I think the, the opportunity we have with the co-op is to focus on profit and the other side of the equation as well. So we're kidding ourselves if we're going to create a business that isn't going to deliver a, a good economic outcome for our farmers. So we need a good milk price and a good structure, but there's an opportunity here to also look at how we farm together and, and how we can improve some of the efficiencies and some of the problems that we're facing as farmers, um, you know, from reducing plastic waste to reducing energy consumption, improving animal health and welfare, all those sorts of things. So I think if you wanted to bottle that into, into a summary, you know, how can we farm together? So it's not necessarily a, being a processor, it's about a collaboration of farmers enjoying their scale to get a better outcome from the route to market, but also finding ways on how we can work together and farm together and be really innovative in that space. I think, you know, throughout Europe, they're doing a lot of this sort of thing in sharing equipment and farming together. So we, we sort of think there's an opportunity here to use the co-op model and, and that philosophy to, to innovate in our own right and try and, you know, stay ahead of the game. Talk to us about some of the difficulties. Obviously, it wasn't all plain sailing. What are the lessons? What are the significant lessons you've learned about where you've got to at this point? Some of the key lessons are more around if you're going to start out any new business, you need good plans, right? You need good governance. You need um, good people and you need really good plans. So we probably put a lot of time and effort into building a foundation of strength. So we you know, the last three years have been unbelievably uncertain with the virus and Murray Golden collapsing and, and all sorts of volatility surrounding us. So the key thing for me is that the, at every turn when our plans have been challenged a little bit, the, the, the strategic plan, the business plan and the updates that we've done to those have really stood up and we might have changed a few things and we might have been a bit flexible on a few things, but generally we've stayed true to our word and we've followed the direction and the consensus that we've all agreed to. Your car is fundamentally a milk brokerage. In this current business model, is there room for growth in this particular structure and why would this be important for the car? To the outsider, it might look like a milk brokerage business, but we certainly do not see ourselves as a milk brokering business. It's about creating value. It's more than just milk price. And I think some of the things that maybe spectators don't see is the things that we're working on that, that are adding extra value to, to our members. So we have big ambitions. We, we have significant plans to add value above and beyond the price and the terms that we've negotiated for the bulk of our milk. If you're sitting in the grandstand watching the, the Mountain Milk Co-op move ahead, then just stay in your seat for a little bit longer. It's, it's more than a milk-breaking business. Look, I know it's important to you that the, the Co-op is actually bigger than its profit margin. How, how do you and the team work towards not just the financials, but I guess the holistic sort of significance of, of what you're doing and where you're doing it? Look, I mean, the, the financials are important. So... Profitability is important. As I said just before, we're, we're, we're kidding ourselves if we don't have a decent economic outcome for our members. So don't get me wrong, that, that is really important. But we have an opportunity here to, you know, we're all really proactive farmers. We're all keen to tackle difficult problems. So our efforts to work on issues together just happen, have happened really naturally. So the co-op model is a great fit for us. It's fostering that aspect of our businesses. So like the, the set of values that I read out to you earlier, 
our strategy and, and members being involved in that. You know, we, we have regular catch-ups, we have social events, you know, we've been even thinking about services to our members around, you know, things like a medical service. You know, so I don't know too many corporates that would be focusing on a lot of the social stuff that a co-op can. And as we have seen and, and heard already in the series uh, from other parts of Australia where that is precisely the case, where the cooperative is really a centre for a lot more than just farm production. Stuart, it's fair to say that cooperatives often succeed or fail because of the sweat equity involved, and you've indicated uh, it's a small uh, but enthusiastic band at the moment. Can you give us a bit of a feel? Talk about some of the key mountain milk players uh, that you've assembled and, and got all pushing in the right direction? Yeah, there's a long list. So I think to start with, the farmers have been instrumental. So the courage and the, the will and the ambition of them individually and, and then coming together collectively to form some sort of business and, and now a co-op, that's amazing really when you think back and you look back in the rearview mirror and think, wow, you know, there's a lot of farmers that aren't willing to have a go but this group has they're all really as I said earlier they're really good farmers in their own right so the farmers are probably number one but the next person closest behind that's our our CEO Pat and Bree he has been um, a big driving force um, he does it in a quiet way but he's brought to the table a huge network of professionals and um, expertise to um, expose opportunities to the group and bring professional advice to the group. So, you know, in the early days, the key motivation for, for getting the co-op up and going was a bunch of funding from the Farming Together program, which was basically a SWOT analysis on, sorry, a, a SWOT VAC on um, getting going with a co-op. So that really helped. That funding was really important. Um, Patton himself has been been really important in exposing us to people and ideas. We've had other key people along the way. We've got a financial guy, part of a large business in Albury-Wodonga here that has been helping us. He sort of attends every second or third board meeting and just provides a, a professional and a financial person around the table when we're discussing business. There's a whole array of professionals that have helped us outside. I won't go into naming and names, but you know they're all have all been really important. The one thing that's been really amazing to me is the the family that encompasses the co-op sector. And I don't know if you could say that around the corporate sector. I've been really amazed how inviting and how supportive and how encouraging they are to really make sure that we we succeed and we do well so you know you've got the bccm and new south wales co-ops with sam Byrne and his group they've been amazing and when we've been in doubt or trying to find a way forward they've been really really helpful so yeah that's they're probably the main the main people and the other two the other probably main factor is in the early days, we were looking for a processor to join the party and we came across Freedom Foods approaches to, to join us and um, they've been amazing. They have really nice alignment of values there as well. So they're the main ones. Obviously, uh, 2020, you could not in a, a million strategy sessions have plotted the way 2020 has unfolded. How has it been and how how is the strength of what you're putting together there and the uh, all those insights and that experience and that the advice that you're getting, how has that helped you through what has obviously been a uh, uncharted territory for, for all of us? It has. It's been a pretty confronting two or three year period. So it's like being in a football game. We've been bounced around a little bit, but our plans have held up really well and, and we've remained on track and 
you know, the virus threw a big curveball to us, but we've actually, we've got some other plans in play at the moment that are, are sending us in another direction, which is aligned with our, our strategic plan. So it's, you know, one aspect fails, another one presents itself. So, you know, it's a credit to everyone involved for the enthusiasm and the motivation for, for continuing and, and, and making sure we move forward and keep developing. Uh, we could see over your shoulder a, a very catchy logo, um, crystal balling a little five or ten years down the track. Where might we see that logo? What sort of products and things might that logo appear on, you know, if all things go well? That's a good question. <laughs> I think we, we, we've certainly got ambitions to add value for everyone involved. So what form that takes you know, we're reasonably agile about, but I think we'd love to be not only have a better connection with our farming community, but the wider community. So, you know, we live in a beautiful part of the world. It's all mountainous. It's beautiful and green for most of the year. There's there's quite a parochial atmosphere in the community. So I think we'd love to connect to our community via our product. We're all really proud farmers. We love what we do. We care for our animals, our environment, our people. And we've got a great opportunity here for our, for our local dairy industry. What better way of connecting with everyone than via our product? And hopefully that also adds to growing jobs and opportunities on farm for people in the community. Well, everybody, everybody tells us these days that uh, you need a good backstory. And we've certainly heard a tremendous backstory. It's, uh, it's all about the provenance of where your product comes from and the, and the passion that you bring uh, to it. Look, thank you so much for your time and your insights, Stuart. We wish Mountain Milk all, all the very best uh, going forward. It's been really interesting learning about navigating and negotiating uh, uh, your way through this, which you've certainly had some character building for years in the dairy game and we appreciate you being prepared to share some of the insights and some of the hard lessons you've learned along the way. No worries. Thanks Thanks for having me and, and the chat. Our great thanks again to Stuart. Until next time, bye for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you're inspired to find out more about the fantastic benefits of cooperative farming and how to realise the incredible potential for your business. Mountain Milk's story really does lead to the question, what makes a co-op succeed? And like in the case of Murray Goulburn, what makes it fail? We did a deep dive into this issue in the Cooperative Conversations video series. Our panel of farming experts discusses the conditions that lead to both the rise and the fall of cooperatives. You can watch this roundtable by going to the Conversations page on our website, coopfarming.coop. Stuart Crosswaite was joined by Sean Cole. He's CEO of the CCW Cooperative. From our side, though, looking at what can happen, be it smoke tain and drought and things like that, the most important thing we do at our co-op is rather than losing sleep over it at night, we have a quite a robust framework of crisis and risk management plans that would be engaged if that happens. So it's knowing what exit to run through when there is a fire and who's doing what, so who's driving the bus. To listen to more great stories of farmers growing and succeeding together, subscribe to our Cooperative Farming podcast series wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. It will really help others to find the series. In our next episode, we talk to Doriana Mangili and the Sweeter Banana Cooperative story. Remember, in a challenging world, we're all better together. I'm Melina Morrison. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.